Good morning and welcome to the Hub City Church. We're so glad you've decided to join us for worship this morning. As the Hub City Church, we exist to make disciples who believe the gospel, abide in Christ, and obey the word of God. If you'd like to hear more about our vision, get plugged into serving, or learn how you can get connected through community groups and men's and women's ministries, you can visit our website, thehubcitychurch.org, or just text the word Hub City to 97000 and we'll follow up with you in the next few days. Our 2024 vision meeting will be held today, directly following the service. This will be our first business meeting of 2024 as we discuss our vision emphasis for this year. We'll spend time assessing how we're doing on our five-year goals, as well as specific things we hope to accomplish as a body in the next 11 months. Also, we'll have a few important announcements that you won't want to miss. Lunch will be provided for all, and childcare for birth through preschool will be available. The Lord has been so faithful in continuing to grow our church body. To help accommodate those looking for seating, it would be super helpful to keep end seats open so our ushers are able to easily find seats for those coming into the service. Kids are always welcome in service, and we have a nursing mother's room with our service streaming live just outside the lobby to the left. Again, we're so glad you're here. Let's worship Jesus together. My name is Tad Anderson. If I've not met you, I am the lead teaching pastor here at the Hub City Church. And uh, I do have a few announcements for you uh, before we get to the word this morning. The first thing is our, um, our 2024 vision meeting. It's our first uh, business meeting, so to speak, of the year uh, is today, directly following the service. We are going to reflect on and celebrate what the Lord did among us in 2023 and then discuss our objectives for this year as pertains to our five-year goals. Yes, we have goals. No, we're not pragmatists. We just think uh, it's helpful to imagine and, and hope together regarding what the future might look like if we strive for faithfulness uh, to the Lord together as a church. Uh, maybe some of these things uh, we won't hit. Maybe uh, some will hit way earlier than five years. Uh, we just like to have targets that we're shooting for with uh, open hearts and, and minds, meaning God can, he can move the target, he can uh, get rid of it, he can give us a new one. We're fine with any of that, uh, but we think you know, if we don't have a target, then we're guaranteed to not hit it, right? Uh, and we don't want that. We like to be able to look back and to celebrate God-given effectiveness and fruitfulness for his kingdom. We think that that is biblical, but uh, anyway, lunch will be provided, uh, catered by Publix, actually, uh, and there'll be pizza for kids. 
Um, or adults who would choose pizza over public subs, which is kind of a red flag for me, just being real, but you do what you want. Um, you know, uh, either way, if you're, uh, if you're a member or a regular attender who desires to become a member here, we have made preparations for you to be here today uh, and to eat. Uh, and if you like, you are welcome to let your kids hang in childcare. We do have some, um, some folks from our body who have graciously volunteered to watch kids age birth through uh, kindergarten. And so uh, if, if you want that, that's totally fine. If your kids fall within that age range, you're welcome to just leave them over there. They'll take the food over there. They'll eat and everything and be ready for you when the meeting uh, is over. If you have kids over that age, then please go get them and bring them back over here for the meeting. Uh, the time frame for the meeting is not longer than 90 minutes, okay? Uh, so, you know, I mean, Q&As and things like that, but hopefully not longer than 90 minutes. I, I don't even think we'll hit that. So, so be there. Uh, be invested in the future of your church, Okay, uh, eat lunch and hear about the vision for 2024. Um, the next thing is shirts have been ordered. Uh, T-shirts have been ordered. So uh, we hope they'll be here not next Sunday, but the Sunday after. And when they get here, we'll pass them out uh, when we get them. So if you ordered them, they should be here, Lord willing, in a couple weeks. Um, also, if you are a volunteer on any of our serve teams, we have a little surprise for you that should be here soon as well. Uh, because we appreciate you and we love you. So if you want to get that surprise, uh, you know, this week's the week to start serving uh, and pretend, <laughs> pretend like you've been around all along. Um, otherwise, you know, you'll just have to be sad about the cool stuff that all our volunteers got. But anyway, um, uh, also we do have, uh, in all seriousness, we have a membership class coming up on Sunday, February 18th, uh, where we'll talk about the, yes, whoo, I'm finally did it. So anyway, vision, mission, value, structure, uh, time for question and answer. And then we'll schedule uh, membership interviews. We do that for everybody who becomes a member of our church. We just want to hear your testimony and hear about why you want to be a part of Hub City Church uh, so we can just celebrate that with you. And uh, yeah, uh, one final thing I was told uh, is that uh, for those of you who um, are interested or want your 2023 uh, giving statements, those have been made available via email. They should have um, if you didn't get that for whatever reason and you want one, we do have some paper copies, and I think we'll have those at the uh, business meeting uh, after the service. So if you didn't get one, you're like, hey, I'd like one, we might have it printed for you, so just come find one of us. Maybe Dallas will have those. So um, anyway, okay. Well, today uh, we are in week five of a six-week series on what we call our missional measures. Essentially, these are just the practical outworkings of a life lived believing the gospel, abiding in Christ, and obeying God's word. You could say on that last part, obeying God's word, these are six of the most basic and indisputable obediences that we think all Christians should be doing and that we really hope that members of the Hub City Church will be doing because, uh, you know, we've, we've said they're all, biblically speaking, they're absolute implications of the gospel and uh, so far, we've talked about committing to meet often in biblical community. We've talked about serving your church family consistently, giving cheerfully and regularly to the mission of the church, uh, engaging in ongoing opportunities for spiritual growth. And this week, we're going to discuss leading our families to love and follow Jesus. And our key text today is actually going to come from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6. So we're going to read it and pray, and then we'll talk about it. But real quick for sake of context, this passage is like 
Uh, it's like part of a sermon, okay, from Moses to Israel on behalf of God prior to them entering the promised land about how they should make sure to live once God gives it to them. That is the, the promised land, okay? So let's go ahead and read. Uh, we'll pick it up in verse 1. We'll read through verse 9, and we'll skip ahead and read verses 20 uh, through 25 as well. So let's read it. Deuteronomy 6, verse 1 says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you're going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord the God, sorry, the Lord, the God of your fathers has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Verse 20. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? And you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good, for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for another Sunday morning that though may seem ordinary, we know is a means of your supernatural grace to us. We are grateful, God, for the privilege to meet and make much of you and your gospel the message of good news to sinners who can have new eternal life because of your life, death, and resurrection. I pray that that gospel is clear today, Lord, as always, and that it's clear from your word how that gospel should impact the way we lead our families. Lord, we want to be faithful husbands, wives, fathers, mothers, sons, daughters, sisters, brothers, respectively. We want to be people whose families have a gospel culture within them and that reflect to the world through our family discipleship that your design is right and good. Lastly, Father, we thank you for the rain today. Though rain can be a deterrent for church attendance for some, God, it reminds us of the perfect timing of your provision and how it's always you that gives the growth that we need in all things. We love you, Jesus. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Well, um, this week in American politics, there was actually a good thing that happened. Crazy, right? Um, The Senate Judiciary Committee met on Wednesday 
with the CEOs of all the top social media companies, uh, Facebook, Instagram, those are the same, Meta, X, TikTok, whatever the other ones are, I don't know. Uh, And the meeting was to discuss the dangers of social media for the mental and emotional health of teenagers and children. And believe it or not, there was bipartisan agreement. That means unity among Republicans and Democrats that something needs to be done for the protection of American children and thus families. And for what it's worth, Mark Zuckerberg of Meta actually apologized and said that no family should have to go through what some have in regards to the harmful effects social media has had on their kids. And uh, I don't know what's going to be done. I mean, it's, you know, social media is kind of like Pandora's box in the sense that what's been let out will be very hard, if even possible, to ever put back in. Suffice it to say, you should probably keep devices with unrestricted internet access and social media out of your kids' hands as long as possible. But nevertheless, I begin with this because it reveals to us that it does not take a Christian or a church to tell you that our families are a precious gift that we ought to take special care of. There are not many things that our crazy world is willing to say are inherent truths anymore. And, uh, you know, so much of, uh, so much foundational, even scientific truth has been denied in exchange for sin. But apparently, caring for our families is one of the things that most people can agree is good and right. Uh, but we know, whether the world will agree or not, where this fundamental truth comes from, don't we, church? Right? It comes from the Word of God. It came long before the digital age, and it pertains to much more than social media. Deuteronomy 6 is one of the clearest places in Scripture that we see Uh, That God does not just expect us to obey him, but he expects that we will diligently impart his statutes to our families as well for the sake of their obedience. And I don't think this takes much complex reasoning to explain. It's natural for human beings to desire good for their offspring, right? Uh, To desire for our kids to be happy and and healthy, to know what they need to know about life before they're on their own, so that preventable harm won't come to them, that they might reach maturity and enjoy children and families of their own one day. And all of this, all of this is from God. This is all from God. It's a reflection of the heart of God in us as his image bearers. God is a father who loves his children, who takes care of them, who teaches them right from wrong and implements discipline for the sake of their growth in wisdom. And this is why we tend to have some of the same instinctive impulses, imperfect as it may be, or they may be, apart from uh, conformity to Scripture. Okay, so praise God for that, and praise God for Scripture. Let's try to form some principles regarding what it says on this topic. Here's the first thing uh, that I think we see in Deuteronomy 6, if we were to apply it with uh, New Covenant terminology. Followers of Jesus are to make their family home 
a discipleship environment for the advancement of the gospel as well as the practical benefits. Let's go back and read again. Verse 5. So you, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So the the point is this. You should be frequently talking as a family about who God is, who we are in relation to him, what he therefore expects of us, what that looks like, lived out in the various circumstances of of life and so forth, all from his word. And it seems that Moses is saying that there should be both Systematic teaching of some kind, family worship, if you will, where everyone is together reading uh, the word, singing hymns, praying. Uh, He says when you lie down and when you rise, that is in the evening and in the morning, if possible, uh, as well as organic teaching as you're uh, out and about, right? As you're on your way, whether it's in the car line, at the beach, or running errands, and so forth, if your kid's see a strange billboard or someone at school said something odd that they didn't understand, right? Or when they ask why they can't have an iPhone with Instagram, like all their friends, whatever the case may be, right? Some people may say verse 9 is justification for their Hobby Lobby shopping, right? Accumulation of Christian decor, framed Bible verses and whatnot to write them on the doorposts of their house. And to that I say, sure, with moderation, (laughs) with moderation, and so long as your husband agrees. Uh, These are all opportunities to be talking with and teaching your children, making your home a discipleship environment. Parents, uh, I just want to appeal to you here. Please talk to your kids. Please talk to your kids. Don't just put them in front of a screen all the time to pacify them and and numb them. Their little minds are so quick and moldable at at their young age, synapses firing, figuring things out. If the extent of our parenting is to give them enough technology to not bother us, even without teaching them, we're still teaching them. Heaven forbid we're teaching them to not come to us. I've said this before and I'll say it again. It's it's not a matter of if your kids will be discipled. It's a matter of where and by who. I think we can all agree. Where should be at home and who should be us, the ones who love them the most and have their best interest at heart because most of the other options are not great, okay? Uh, Listen to this quote from Paul Tripp, pastor, counselor, and author who has taught extensively on marriage and parenting. He says, he doesn't say that. He says, uh, (laughs) he says, in the family, life is, is brought not only to our doorstep, but into our kitchens, bedrooms, and dens. 
In the family, life is happening all around us, and it begs to be questioned, evaluated, interpreted, and and discussed. There is no more consistent, pregnant, dynamic forum for instruction about life than the family, because that is exactly what God designed the family to be, a learning community. Now, this is straight from Deuteronomy 6, isn't it? This is straight from Deuteronomy 6. You know, growing up, I remember uh, in the movies and, and, and TV, there was always uh, the situation that writers could throw in for a cheap laugh. Uh, the dumb, slothful, inarticulate dad realizing he needed to have the dreaded sex talk with his preteen son. Men, it ought not be this way. It ought not be this way. First of all, Do not let sitcoms written by anti-Christian Hollywood producers define your identity. You're not Al Bundy from Married with Children. If you're in Christ, you're a son of God and you are the leader of your family. Second, if you're intentionally talking with and teaching your kids in regular rhythms like you're called to, while something like sex is certainly an important topic, it doesn't have to be a weird, confusing one. It doesn't have to be. You can just tell them the truth about God's design with a degree of clarity that they need for their age, just like you do with everything else. Okay, um, so... Followers of Jesus are to make their family home a discipleship environment. And we said that Deuteronomy 6 offers two main reasons uh, for the advancement of the gospel as well as practical benefits. So let's talk about each one. First of all, the advancement of the gospel. In the second section of the chapter that we read, starting in verse 20, it says, said this. It said, when your son asks you in time to come, what's the meaning of the testimonies and statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? You shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. The Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we're careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. So many, a Bible commentator, have noticed that this is essentially the gospel of the Old Testament. Okay, Not that there are two biblical gospels, but this was the best articulation of the gospel of salvation by grace through faith that existed prior to Christ. They were saved from slavery in Egypt, were saved from slavery to sin. They saw signs and wonders of plagues and miracles. The New Testament saints saw signs and wonders of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. They demonstrated their faith in God's mercy and grace by putting uh, the blood of the lamb over their doorposts for the Passover, right? You know that story? We demonstrate our faith in God's mercy and grace by remembering Christ's atoning bloodshed on the cross for our sin. God parted the Red Sea for them to walk across safely to a new promised land. One day, God will part the waters of death for us to cross over into our new promised eternal life, right? You see the correlation here. And 
Just as we say that the gospel is always the motivating truth for the therefores of our New Testament way of redeemed living, so too for Old Testament Israel, the Lord would often remind them that he's the God who brought them out of slavery in Egypt, and thus that they should trust him and do as he says, right? Because he's trustworthy. And so we can deduce that uh, we should be making our family homes a discipleship environment, first and foremost, so that the seed of the gospel might eventually take root in the hearts of our children and thus advance through their lives, just as it is through ours. We're going to talk um, in a few minutes about the expectation of obedience from our children. And while discipline is a part of that, we ultimately want our kids to obey because of the grace of God, right? Because they know God loves us and we've loved them and that it's God's kindness to give children parents who seek to emulate their heavenly father, right? That's where we want the obedience of children to come from. So we should be in our talking and our teaching often coming back to the gospel, often coming back to the gospel so that Lord willing, our children, when they're six or 10 or 13 or 15 or 18, will eventually, by the work of the Holy Spirit, come to place their faith in the perfect life, atoning death, and hope-giving resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and a new life where they eventually lead their own sons and daughters to do the same. So as always, the gospel and its advancement are primary, right? That's the primary thing. Uh, This is a teaching series about being gospel-centered disciples. Hopefully it comes as no surprise to you that we should be preaching the gospel to our kids constantly. Um, But also, there are practical benefits, right, to making our homes a discipleship environment. Uh, Let's read again from verse 1. It says, now this is the commandment the statutes and the rules, the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you're going over, to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and, get this, that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly. Right? So, um, I have to be careful how I say this because I am not saying if you follow Jesus, then everything is just going to go great for you. Okay? Uh, Biblically, we know there are trials and sufferings, even persecutions that we will experience in this life as we follow Christ. Okay? But what I am saying is that God's ways are orderly ways. They're ways that lead to flourishing and joy, regardless of the difficulties that may arise, right? And so uh, when it comes to, let's say, for instance, when it comes to relationships and marriage, the way that Christians are called to honor each other and save themselves for and be totally committed to their spouse, that tends to lead to relational longevity and happiness. It does, 
right? When it comes to food and drink and what we put into our bodies, the Christian mindset of being a steward and trying to take care of ourselves, that tends to lead to physical health. When it comes to reading our Bibles and being thoughtful, careful people in general, this tends to lead to a prudent lifestyle where big, foolish blunders are largely avoided, right? When it comes to finances and being generous people who live our lives within our means and not in pursuit of wealth and and vanity, uh, we tend to have the material provision that we need. Amen? Amen. Right? Um, So now again, let me explain. (laughs) Not always. Not always. Accidents happen. Sin happens. Sickness happens. Crime happens. War happens. Communism happens. This broken world we live in happens. So these are not absolute principles where like if you do ABC, then you're guaranteed the outcome of one, two, three, right? Because God is sovereign and he has his own secret purposes for all of our lives, even the hard and painful parts. But ordinarily, okay, catch that word, (laughs) ordinarily, Faithful Christian living leads to a long life, and things will tend to go well for you in a general sense because you're abiding by God's design. We see this clearly in Proverbs and the Psalms. In Proverbs chapter 4, it says, Hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. If you run, you'll not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on, for they cannot sleep unless they've done wrong. They're robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble, for they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day, right? And then also Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is on the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does He prospers, right? So again, a good life is not the primary motivation we have for teaching our families to abide by uh, the words of God. The primary motivation, the most primary, I guess maybe I should say, is the advancement of the gospel, both in and through them. But there do tend to be practical benefits as well, and that's a good thing. So praise God for that. Now, spoiler alert. Next week, our final missional measure is going to be about living a sent life of making more disciples. And I tell you that because I want you to see that there is an intentional order to these measures. Commit, serve, give, engage, lead, live. Now, none of them are are, are more important than the others, and we hope that all of us will ultimately be doing all of them, but from my experience, this tends to be the flow of growth. 
Typically, someone gets into the community of the church first, makes some friends, then starts to find opportunities to serve and be involved. Then as they you know, really begin to get the gospel and believe in the vision, they'll begin to contribute financially. And someone who's doing all of those things usually realizes they should be looking for opportunities to grow and to mature. And then as someone um, has become a growing disciple of Jesus, they realize they need to be leading their family to do the same. And out of that, they start living this kind of holistic uh, disciple life. It's a disciple who's always out to make more disciples in all of life, wherever they are. And I say that to kind of segue into the next point in your notes, which is that if the kingship of Christ is truly understood and applied, the first places it should become evident are in our marriage and parenting relationships. Okay. You see, here's the thing uh, about what we see in the gospel accounts. This, the, the, the big idea that Jesus is talking about all the time, okay, uh, and all that he's teaching and all that he's preaching is the kingdom of God. If you haven't ever noticed that, go read the gospels again, and you're going to be like, whoa. Like, that's, he's talking about that all the time, right? Um, so he's saying things like, you know, the kingdom of God is at hand, or uh, the kingdom of God is like such and such. I mean, Jesus says that over and over and over, right? Um, he makes many, many statements like that. And the kingdom of God, what is that? Okay, the kingdom of God is, at present time, in essence, it's the invisible rule and reign of God in the person and work of Jesus Christ bringing the lives of his disciples into conformity with himself and how he has made life to function best. That's it's a mouthful. That, that's my best articulation of the kingdom of God, right? But in simple terms, you could say it this way. Jesus is the king. Okay, Jesus is the king. And if Jesus is the king, then his disciples are like his loyal subjects, living to please him and accomplish the mission of heralding uh, the good news of his victory in the war against sin and death to the rest of the world. And what we see in the Gospels is that when the king comes near, you with me? Okay. When the king comes near, people are changed. People are changed. People are helped. People are healed. And even though King Jesus is not physically present with us now, his spirit is. Right? And his spirit is continuing to do the same work that he did in and through his people, his disciples, his subjects, testifying to the message of the gospel, helping and healing people, sometimes physically, but mainly healing them of the spiritual disease of sin, okay? The main mode of which, the main mode of that healing is repentance, right? And thus, when people believe the gospel and they come in to the kingdom of God, right, under the kingship of Christ, their lives begin to change, and be healed 
from their prior brokenness. And as they themselves experience help and healing and their life begins to kind of be put in order, they can't help but begin to look around at how they can get involved in the work of other people experiencing the same thing. Right? That's how it works. I love this little snippet in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 8, uh, where we hear about the Apostle Peter's mother-in-law. It's so quick, you know, but I'm like, that's it right there. It says, when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. <laughs> Church. That's how it happens. That's how it happens. The spirit, you know, blows, convicts our hearts of the sickness, of sin. We're touched by the message of Christ, really by Christ himself. You confess your sin, repent, turn to him in faith, and you're healed. That's how you're healed. And then you get up and you start living your life to serve him, right? And the way it works is you start, you start with the relationships in closest proximity to you. Does that make sense? Your wife or your husband, your kids, right? You start doing crazy things like reading the Bible with them at night, praying with them serving them, going out of your way to show how much you love them, telling them you're sorry. That's crazy in the world today, isn't it? Telling them you're sorry for how your sin has negatively affected them. If you want to follow Jesus, you'll be doing that one a lot, okay? Um, And then these crazy things start to become the new normal things, Because what else would you do? (laughs) What else would you do? You're a Christian, so of course, you're going to strive to lead your family to love and follow Jesus too. This is the logical progression of spiritual growth. In 1 Timothy 3, when Paul's talking about the qualifications for overseers and pastors, he says of a qualified elder, he says he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? And then of deacons, he says similarly, he says, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanders, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. And I reference these verses because they show us that there is a progression. There's a progression, right? Leading yourself well, leading your family well, and then leading others well. This is the necessary progression for church leaders. The home and the family become like uh, a proving ground, as some have called it, of spiritual maturation. And thus, this is the same progression for all believers. For all believers. Okay, uh, whether you ever step into an official, you know, church office or not, once they're leading themselves, 
Their leadership works outward in concentric circles of proximity. And so I say, the first place is that the kingship of Christ becomes evident in our lives is in our marriages and with our kids. Okay, and I, this is just a beautiful thing to see happen because here's the next point. Relationships between husband and wife that are joyfully intimate and healthy spiritually, emotionally, and physically, and relationships between parent and child that have a healthy understanding of authority and submission, as well as teaching and learning, these are a testament to the goodness of God's design and its restoration in Christ. That's a lot. Don't try and write all that down, note takers. I'm going to go through one point at a time. Okay, so let's, let's talk briefly about each one of these, and then we'll move towards a conclusion. First of all, relationship between husband and wife that are joyfully intimate and healthy spiritually, emotionally, and physically are a testament to the goodness of God's design and its restoration in Christ. Now, I know that many of you know this because this has become such a common phrase. It's a good phrase uh, that we see in Ephesians 5, that marriage is meant to be like what? Like a picture of Christ and the church, right? Colossians 3 shows us the same thing. It says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. So the husband is the one who represents Christ. And thus he is to lead his wife in a Christ-like way. Loving, not harsh, right? And the wife is the representative of the church in this picture, gladly submitting to the husband's Christ-like leadership. And while neither are going to be a perfect picture, a husband and wife who keep trying to live this out will become a beautiful thing in time, right? A beautiful thing to witness. Listen to how it talks about it in 1 Peter chapter 3. It says, likewise... Wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. And then verse 7, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So, you see, each one is meant to be humble. Okay, husband and wife, each one is meant to be humble. Not trying to show the other how much better they're doing at fulfilling their role than their counterpart, okay? But considering themselves a patient helpmate to the other in the work that God is doing in them, right? And as these things become progressively true, there inevitably begins to grow a deep sense of trust and friendship and mutual respect. Not a weird codependence, but a godly reliance on one another. There is a joyful intimacy, a closeness, a one fleshness where man and woman are glad to be together. They're glad to be together, doing work together, raising kids together, praying together, learning and thinking through God's word together. And yes, being physically intimate together, 
in all the ways that they are able with a frequency that's agreeable for both and in a manner where both are aiming to give of themselves and serve each other. A marriage like this, where husband and wife truly love each other and are intentionally bound by a covenant that they've made with with God together, where neither is perfect, neither is perfect, but where you can just tell they're happy to be together till death, right? Where they're best friends, if you will. It's just a wonderful thing to see. (laughs) It's just a wonderful thing to see because it reflects the gospel and it reveals that God's way of doing things is good and it's wise. Amen? And the same is true about relationships between parents and children that have a healthy understanding of authority and submission, teaching and learning, where children are taught from a very young age that dad and mom are to be obeyed. Obeyed, right? Because because they have a God-given, loving authority that is stewarded for the well-being and flourishing of their kids, right? Not because they want to be harsh authoritarians, okay? And where eventually, under these circumstances, children learn that their parents are not over them to hinder them or to... um, not to hinder them, but, but to help them, that even discipline is not for their harm, right? Uh, but for their long-term health and the shepherding of their hearts, which then grows into a relationship where mom and dad are respected and trusted. And though they're not, they're not perfect either, right? They're, they're adults who are trustworthy, right? They're adults who are trustworthy and... Um, who are teaching them in their lives the majority of the things that they need to know for life, right? So that when they're grown up, they'll look back like Paul instructs Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, where he says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, right? This is what we should want for our kids, church. This is what we should want for them. For them to look back, right, and say, you know, my parents were not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but they loved Jesus. (laughs) They loved each other. And they loved me. And they taught me all they could about living a life consistent with the gospel and faith in Christ. And so now I'm going to do my best to replicate it in my own life. That's what we should hope our kids will say. Again, this is a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing that demonstrates the goodness of God's design that can be recovered and restored in the lives of those who come to Christ. Amen? Okay, so as always, I know um, (laughs) this is not an exhaustive message on marriage uh, or on family. We have done series like that, but, but this is the gist of what we mean when we talk about our fifth missional measure, 
of leading our families to love and follow Jesus. And you know, I was, I was going to close there, but I just really felt like I should say one more thing uh, here at the end because of the biblical importance of it, okay? So here it is. The Hub City Church believes that it is biblically ideal and right for men to bear the primary responsibility for leading their families to love and follow Jesus. Now, guys, please, please hear me, okay? I am not saying this so that the wives can go, amen, and elbow their husband in the ribs. <laughs> wives, if you do that, you're not helping yourself, okay? So stop, I, I mean it. But guys, I, I love you, and there is, we all know it, there's an epidemic of absent fathers. And even for physically present fathers, absent-minded fathers who are not being intentional with the time they have with their children. And unfortunately, this goes hand-in-hand hand with the epidemic of supposedly Christian husbands who don't lead their wives spiritually and who don't help her in the home, right? Right? Men of the Hub City Church, this should not be, and it does not have to be us. This doesn't have to be us. We're called to so much more than this. Not to mention, we're going to stand before God for how not only we provided for our families, but how we led our families. Okay? Um, so, let's lead them. Let's lead them. Let's not send our wives and our kids to community group by themselves. Let's not neglect to read the Bible to our kids at night and tuck them in and pray with them and show them that we love them. Or if they're older, let's not fail to engage them in conversation and remind them that they can trust us and they can come to us with anything. Let's not neglect to be friends with other Christian men who we're close with. Let's be present. Let's be present. Let's go after our wives' hearts and let's serve them, right? Let's aim to grow spiritually. Let's be men who our sons can look up to, okay, men. Let's be men who our sons can look up to and who our daughters can learn from what it looks like, how to be treated by a godly man. You think they're going to learn that in the world? No, brother. They're supposed to learn it from you. Right? 1 Corinthians 16 calls us to this. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. And let all that we do be done in love. Let's do that. Let's do that. Let's think about, guys, our legacies. Do you think about that? Let's think about our legacies. Deuteronomy 6.2 says, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son. Right? Guys, the kind of dads and husbands that we are matters. It matters your willingness 
to, to man up and to decide, to decide to be a man after God's heart could change the trajectory of generations of your family to come. Think of it. Your willingness to really live for Christ for the next 40 or 50 years or however long could have an exponential impact in the lives of not only your own family, but the other people they come into contact with. Ah, look at me. Men, we can do this. Because God has called us to this. He has called us to lead our families. And listen, God does not call us to things that he doesn't equip us for. Okay? That's true. And if maybe, you know, maybe you don't want to say it, but inwardly you're scared because you don't know everything that you think you should probably know for this, join the club, man. You and me and all these other guys that are only going to make it to the finish line by the grace of God. We'll do it together. Okay, we'll do it together. Ladies, if you have a Christian husband who is still figuring this out, encourage him. (laughs) Encourage him in that. It takes time to figure these things out. Be the kind of wife and mother that you're called to be in the meantime, and don't nag. Pray. Pray and trust the Lord. If you feel like Ladies, if you feel like you have a husband who could care less, and even though you know he's called to lead, you think that if you don't lead in your family, then no one will, then sister, let me just tell you, keep doing your best to step into that leadership gap the best way you know how, and trust the Lord, and keep respecting your husband, and lean on your church family, okay? All this to say, I know that there are often convoluted circumstances that complicate this topic. It sounds simple, but I know it gets complicated. I know that. But that doesn't mean that you can't still be faithful. You can. We can. And just like we all have to do, you just do your very best with what you have And trust that the Lord ultimately loves your family more than you ever could. (laughs) So let's do our best to lead our families to love and follow Jesus together. Let's pray. Father, God, thank you as always that your word is, it's there. (laughs) And it's true and it's sufficient for all of life and godliness. Father, I pray on this one that uh, we would see that leading our families to love you and to follow you, that is, that's an important step of spiritual growth. And I pray that for myself included, but the men and women in here, that we would, we would examine our lives honestly and ask ourselves, are we really leading our families? Are we creating a gospel culture within our families? Do we see the primary objective in our families for our children to get the gospel. As men, are we sacrificing and serving our wives? As wives, are we submitting to our husbands? Holy Spirit, do what only you can do now.
I know that you are doing the real work in the hearts of this church body. So we're so thankful for that. I'm thankful for that as a Bible teacher. I can't, I can't even make myself do what I'm supposed to do. God, you have to do it in me. You have to empower me. So would you empower us to do this? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.